He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the King Speed Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez. Everything is weird. Everything is new. We're actually in the same room. Uh, I, of course, am from ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. And Brendan is from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse Podcast. What's going on, Brendan? Um, a lot of new, I guess. This is kind of weird, James. Like This is weird. Yeah. It's totally weird. Do I look this way? Do I look at you? Like, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot going on. I think we were supposed to allow the people to be like the third person in our conversations. So the fourth. We have Mitch Richmond right here. We do so. have Mitch, Mitch Richmond's <laughs> legs. He, he's cutting through, I think it's Hot Rod Williams and uh, Robert Ori. I looked this up. I think it's like the 1997 season. There's only one season that, uh, that Robert Ori played for the Suns. I was a rookie in life. I was just born. He was just born. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to talk about how old I was at that point. Um, all right, so hey, uh, we are doing something different today. Uh, Brennan and I are both here at Golden One Center. We're in the media dining area. Um, dare we say Sean Cunningham is actually in the room with us. He's in the room. We can see him. He's working. He's right over there. Uh, he's <laughs> waving at us. Sean Cunningham is here. Um, he will not make an appearance on this week's pod, but we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe in the near future we'll have a return of Sean Cunningham. Um, all right, so uh, Brennan, like how we just got done with practice? Like, what was your your thoughts outside of the fact that uh, you you got forearm shimmied by the uh, media relations staff? Yeah. I'm glad that we're letting everybody know about that. Well, we don't um, have to. It's up to you. No, it's okay. You got forearm shimmied too, so I, I feel I all did. right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my guy that forearm shimmied me was way bigger than your guy that forearm shimmied I don't know. Me. My guy was kind of the star yesterday. Um, kind of the star. Yeah. Kind of. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's that's what I'm going to go with, all right? All right. And we'll leave names out of this, and we'll it's perfect. We'll leave names out. All right. Um, I think that... The one standout to me at practice today was, well, I guess Justin Holiday is back. I uh, saw that. That's oh, not the standout, though. He is. He is yeah. back. Uh, Non-COVID-related illness. Had him go out halftime in the Utah game, and then he wasn't available in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was that, like, De'Aaron Fox was in a really good mood. I guess the best mood I've ever seen De'Aaron Fox in. And maybe he just had a really good breakfast, and who knows. But they also uh, beat the third seed, I want to say it is, Uh Chicago Bulls, yeah. yeah, and they might have been second prior to the loss last night, but okay. they beat a pretty good Eastern Conference team and, you know, went up 20 early, uh, looked like they were playing pretty good and, and kept DeMar DeRozan contained in a way that they absolutely could not in the last game. No, uh, he's kind of off his heater. He slowed down. Yeah, he was on a heater there for a while, and I think DeMar DeRozan slowed down a little bit. Yeah. And Kobe White didn't drop 31 on him like he did last time. Right. Um, but yeah, Darren was in a good mood. Like, I, I think that and and he's acknowledged, you know, I think he said today, like, there's a slim chance of the postseason, but you still, like, sense an optimism going into next year and beyond that. And we've heard a lot these last couple of days, like your piece with De'Aaron and Sam's piece with Domas uh, talks about um, gelling in the offseason and going into next year with some positive momentum. And 
uh, it seems like they're feeling good. There was good energy at the practice today after that win. It, it was fun. Uh, De'Aaron, he talked about how he doesn't stay in Sacramento during the summer, that it's too hot. The dry heat, like, dries him out, and, like, he's got to, like, put lotion on all the time. Yeah. Um, but he goes he goes back to Houston, and he lives in Houston during the summer, um, and then that's where he trains and, and gets ready. Uh, I expect him and a lot of these players to be in Sacramento quite a bit this summer. They'll they'll make the trip out, and they'll get together, and they'll have pickup games, and they'll do some stuff here in the summer. They'll probably also go down to L.A. and meet meet up there as well. Yeah, that's one thing I was curious about. Like, we're hearing a lot of talk about the guys are going to meet up the offseason and everything, right? Didn't that happen a good bit last offseason with Mo Harkless and yeah, kind of hosting work. it? Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like they did. They uh, they went down to L.A. Mo Harkless has a gym that he works out at that everyone went down and hung out with uh, at, at Mo's gym. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I think what we normally see is players get – if you're going to be serious about ramping up, usually players roll in like September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, uh, and then they start playing pickup games until – you know, media day is usually around the 25th, 26th, 27th of September. And uh, by that point, players have usually been in Sacramento. Most of the players have been here like three weeks working out together, uh, really building some chemistry and, and some bonds, uh, building some bonds and, you know, just getting on the floor and playing. I know uh, a couple of years ago, Fox came in in such great shape that he just killed everybody. Like they were talking about, like he hadn't lost a pickup game the entire um the entire stretch in September. And I kind of expect that this year as well. Like, I expect him to come back in, in pretty incredible shape. Um, so let's get to some of the business. Uh, number one, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, go down below and give us a thumbs up uh, and subscribe. We did break 1,000 followers, so we're super excited. There's 1,000 subscribers. Um, Kings Beat, make sure that you're jumping on board with Kings Beat. Uh, get yourself a subscription. And uh, we have the... Off the record with the Kings beat virtual happy hour part four infectious disease control is coming up on September 24th. What's with the name? I never asked. 530 to 730. You don't know the story of the defect uh, the infectious disease control. I feel like we're like living in infectious disease. Okay. Poor so controlled. I, I'm but... going to let Scott Moak tell that story. He is our, our guest for the evening. Um, but there was a situation with Scott Moak and Kevin Durant where Anytime someone bleeds, uh, that's what, you know, the game is paused for an infectious disease control situation. That's what they call it. Um, but I don't think everyone announces that. Scott does. He finds it humorous. <laughs> and Kevin Durant did not like that. And so uh, it, it's a good story because it, it goes on from there. There's a second incident of an infectious disease control in the same game. And so there's this this moment where, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I have heard some fun stories from Moak in this room we're sitting in. So should be good. He's awesome. He's he's a great dude, and I, I think everyone will enjoy. Uh, he's just such a great conversationalist, and he's a lot of fun. He's got a great energy to him. And so if you haven't got to see much of Scott Moak, he's been on the podcast once or twice in the past. I know at one point <laughs> – the Kings blocked him from coming on the podcast. He was not allowed to come on. He he was scheduled, and then uh, he ran it by his bosses, and they said no. When uh, but that was a long time ago, and a different a different group of people were running 
things around here at that point. So, so super excited about that. That's on uh, March 24th. That is only for premium subscribers. I would have made it earlier in March, but I like to do them on Thursdays. And uh, the Thursday that's coming up is St. Patrick's Day. And I will probably be somewhere drinking on St. Patrick's Day. I didn't realize that. I would have got pinched. March 17th. <laughs> you would have got pinched. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. What is it? Uh, I don't even know. Th- oh, wow. That's in two days. My bad. Yeah. So Thursday, we will have a podcast on St. Patrick's Day. So maybe we will uh, dress up in St. Patrick's Day gear. And they play the Celtics the day after? They do. I I think that does not <laughs> bode well for... A Celtics jersey is not... It's green. like. Yeah, I guess you could wear a Celtics jersey. No, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. Yeah, a Rondo. I, I think having a <laughs> bunch of Celtics fans, uh, especially... The Irish ones here in the building on the day after St. the Friday after St. Patrick's Day uh, could get a little reckless, so it should be good. Um, that uh, outside of that, um, there's a promo code down below for Kings Beat merch. Um, so if you're looking for any of that stuff, we got 15% off. We're not wearing any Kings Beat merch right now, but uh, like we're we are coming out with the new. Uh, if you like the white sweatshirt. Uh, the Fire and Ice sweatshirt, we have uh, made t-shirts of it. So you can now buy it in t-shirt form. That'll go up on uh, the site later today. And so if you want some Kings Beat merch, uh, that should be cool. Um, it, it'll be on there. You know, you can order your shirts and I'll send them out to you, which has been a trip, like sending people out stuff. It's like, I, I again, I had to buy like a label maker, a bunch of bags, scale. You guys think yeah. that I'm like... I, I think you already here. had them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm running drugs here, clearly. <laughs> I, I do live in the Grass Valley area, so it's very possible. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Uh, okay, so let's get to the show. Uh, Brennan, the thing that I think really stood out from the... Uh, not the win, but the night of, against the Chicago Bulls was... And a lot of people showed up in Bulls... <laughs> Bulls... Uh, gear a lot of people were in bulls yeah it was i want to say it was a 50 50 split i think i would be lying it, yeah yeah there was it was loud for bulls uh any sort of bulls plays that were going on um M- i for mvp chance mvp chance anytime alex caruso i thought i missed something looking down and because the crowd got loud and i was like oh it's just what happens when alex caruso shoots the ball um yeah, it definitely was loud. I think weirdly that when you saw the Kings kind of 20-point halftime lead start to diminish and the Cleveland or the Chicago fans in the building got a little bit of energy behind them there that Sacramento fan base really responded when it became like a two-point game, but then Sacramento was able to like bring it to four. Like Normally, I think that that slight jump when you're losing a lead, the fan base wouldn't respond to too much, but it almost felt like a competing with the Chicago fans in the building. I think uh, the one thing we did learn is that everyone booed Tristan Thompson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that happened while he was here, too. I don't know. I don't I, Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Like, I, like, I even joked about it on Twitter. I, like, the Tristan Thompson hate, like, I don't know. He didn't say anything negative about Sacramento after he left. Um, it, it's that he played two games with Indiana and wrote a thank you to Indiana, and he did not say anything about Sacramento. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, like, because it's it's weird that he would, number one, that he would do that. He'd feel the need to say something about his time in Indiana and not Sacramento. Um, but at the same time, like, like, does anyone really care? It's Tristan Thompson. 
like not to be rude to Tristan Thompson, but I mean, we're not talking about, you know, I guess when Jason Terry did it, it was a little dirtier. Like Jason Terry, uh, not only did the Kings let him out of his contract and he didn't have to come to Sacramento, but on top of that, he like went on a radio station and almost immediately trashed Sacramento after they let him off. And that was weird. So that's why Jason Terry got booed forever. The other guy who always gets booed here in Sacramento is Spencer Hawes. Everyone hates Spencer isn't, Hawes. Isn't James Johnson one? One year I was unaware of this and I think presented a fake trade that had James Johnson in it. And isn't he the one that showed up in a Sonics hat? He did. Um, yeah. Okay. So James Johnson, there were a couple of things that, that people didn't like about James Johnson. Um, he, like, first of all, James Johnson can do a roundhouse kick and kick the, kick the rim. Um, like that dude is like crazy, crazy athlete. Um, and I think he's a black belt. So he's not the guy to get in a fight with. Uh, but when he was in Sacramento, he actually took a bunch of time off in the middle of the season because, mm-hmm. um, his lady had, uh, a, a baby. And I think they're worried it was going to be a preemie or not. It was like a weird situation. Um, and so he missed like three or four weeks and he came back with like a gigantic neck tattoo like all the way across, um, like the no regrets tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't <laughs> think that he earned like a, like a lot of people weren't happy about his time here. He did, if I'm not mistaken, he, he had a buzzer beating three at the garden to beat the Knicks, which at least there's that, you know? There's something, yeah. Yeah, sure. I think Scal Sierra beat the Knicks with a buzzer beating three too, didn't he? He beat somebody, Scal did. Uh, and the fact that James Johnson is still in the NBA all these years later and Scalabi Sierra is not, to me, is a quandary. Uh, that that one stands out as kind of strange. Scal should have got a neck tat. Maybe that's why. <laughs> Maybe it's because Scal didn't get a PPP on his forehead or um, or a a giant neck tat or, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe Scal's just too soft to, to do that and that's why he's not in the league. Um, okay, so when we get to the Bulls game itself, there was a lot of good, uh, but I think we have to start with Sean's least favorite segment of the show because Sean is still in the room. Tuesday <laughs> overreactions. Tuesday overreactions. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo is the Kings can't afford him. This savior, <laughs> savior of the Kings, he earned himself twenty million dollars a year. Uh, with his play against the Chicago Bulls, he is now the answer to everything. Every question regarding the Sacramento Kings begins and ends with Dante DiVincenzo. Your thoughts? Well, you need to present me a question, and I have an answer for you already. Um, I, I think that Dante, it's what we had all been asking for, and it's interesting that it took Justin Holiday being unavailable for Dante to actually get the opportunity to be in the starting lineup. Um, but I, I think that you saw there was probably one moment where I was like what was that shot that you kind of see a couple of those for Dante but it wasn't as egregious as some of these previous ones we've seen he's good for two to three a game I think he only had one and I think the way I like worded it earlier was his mistakes are really loud but a lot of the good things he does are pretty quiet and I think that that makes it just leads to some people being a little bit more frustrated with him at times and understandably so when when there's some of those moments where they're just kind of shocking but he he played great um you know I think that him playing alongside Fox and Sabonis and seeing him get more reps alongside those guys I want to say he ended the night with 34 minutes 
um, you did see like kind of confirmed the you're going to see less of those crazy shots and off the dribble he's more um, spotting up and, and catching while he stands still which I thought was interesting was something that Alvin pointed out as well um, and yeah he does all the things that you need on the defensive end he was the one taking care of DeMar DeRozan which is a tough matchup I was impressed with his passing yeah rebounding I really like Dante he's a great rebounder for a guard yeah I mean, he does not mind going up against the trees and, and like, flying in and go, going over the top. On the defensive end, I'm going to point out a couple of things. Um, there was a play, I think it was hmm, third, fourth quarter, uh, where someone went went to drive to the lane and then tried to make a crafty pass to a big man. And DiVincenzo, like, flashed into the screen out of nowhere, and the guy, like, threw the ball out of bounds. And it's it, – he does a lot of little things that do not show up in the in the box score at all. He gets a lot of deflections, which uh, that is tracked. But he had um, one steal yesterday, which does not represent no, how disruptive felt like he, he had was. Like three or four, yeah. he did. Yeah. So I, I thought he was tremendous. He hit a, a late three that was sort of like one of those backbreakers uh, that helped the Kings get over the top. Um, he was it was almost like he was refined in what he does so he was staying in his spot he was moving with the the play but staying on that uh outside the key uh opposite for the you know for the skip pass and we saw a lot of two-man game with fox and sabonis and then they kept finding him for open looks i thought he was really good i thought davion mitchell was really good Uh, but to stay with divincenzo uh we got him in in post game, and that's I think it's the second time we've got him, maybe third time we've got him since the trade, and he is really intense. He is. Uh, I think yesterday not as much. So uh, it yeah. almost seemed like, I mean, in better a better mood as anybody would be with kind of had struggled earlier, and I think that still figuring out what his role is on this team. Um, and yeah, he played really well yesterday. He was more loose it was the first time where it was like okay you got to see this guy's personality and because most of the time he's, he's very straight faced like he and Davion both give you kind of typical media answers but Davion even like yeah Dante is more tense while Davion is just more not much emotion going on yeah Davion is like he's staccato like it's like but I'm done like every question every answer is very short I didn't get that with Dante DiVincenzo um, he wants to start. He wants to be the starter here. He wants to be the starter next to De'Aaron Fox. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, he was looking when he left uh, when he left Milwaukee. He's looking for an opportunity where he has a bigger role, where he's not just like literally the fifth guy on on a team that you know is going to you know play for a championship, but who has you know four guys who have been all stars in the past all around him. Um, and so I think that there's an opportunity here for him to be really, really good, but he has to rein it in a little bit. And I think if you give him, give him an opportunity to be the starting shooting guard and to settle into that position, I think you've got an opportunity to, to build something. Some, he's definitely a outstanding defender. Uh, he's a bit of a gambler. He's more of a gambler than a guy, a guy like Davion. Davion is like he sticks to his guy like glue. And you see, you know, some crazy things from DiVincenzo where he's playing passing lanes and stuff like that. But I think, you know, to be honest with you, 
there's no reason for him not to start at that shooting guard spot the rest of the season. And if he's not starting, then I'm wondering why the whole time. Because, number one, I think he's a better player than Justin Holiday, and I'm not trying to bash on Justin Holiday. I just think he's a better player. He's a more versatile player than Justin Holiday. But I also think that there's potential for him to have a major future here. And if you don't, like, sort of foster the right type of relationship here and you just end up matching some offer that someone else gives to Dante DiVincenzo as opposed to negotiating a deal with him to keep him here and to make him happy, then you run into that that problem that maybe you get a guy who's not exactly excited about being here. And as of right now, I think he is, but it's got to come with the right set of like parameters. He wants to be a starter. He wants to be a guy who uh, that you can rely on for all kinds of things, but but really, I think he wants to find a home where he can excel, and I think the Kings can be that spot. But you you almost have to commit to him now, and and I don't know why they haven't to this point. But we're down to like what twelve games, so he I, in my mind he should be the starter the rest of the season. I'm going to be pretty annoyed if he doesn't start next game. Um, I I don't wouldn't really understand the logic going back to Justin Holiday. Like you said, it's not like. It, may, it doesn't make any sense to me that to uh, pitch that Justin Holiday is more impactful right now. Um, I think that the only difference is that Holiday is, I guess, hypothetically, because we haven't seen it in Sacramento, able to shoot off movement. Outside of that, like Dante is a capable shooter. His shot is has started to fall in Sacramento. He's a more versatile and physical defender. One thing that really stood out to me because I've been kind of defending Justin Holiday. Um, I guess You're not, Justin Holiday not aggressively apologist. or anything. It's just Aggressive so many people are Justin coming Holiday at him. Apologist. I just heard it. So, <laughs> so many people are just like uh, that. Justin Holiday is really just not good, and I think I've been kind of defensive, and it's been a tough stance as the games have gone on. Not gonna lie, but I think the one thing that really stood out to me when you just get a game with Justin not out there and Davion and Dante getting more. Uh, just getting all of his reps, is that those two guys, while neither of them are phenomenal passers, they're both capable passers, and they're good at putting the ball on the floor in a way that Justin isn't. If if Holiday gets closed out on, or he's not attacking that closeout in the same way that you would see Dante or Davion do, or when Dante and Davion make their cuts and get a catch, they're able to um, make a nice pass from there. Like I, I felt like the ball was moving really well, and it's not that it sticks with Justin Holiday, but I just don't think he makes quite the same reads as Dante or Davion. Okay, so I, I'm going to give one of the reasons why I believe he's that Justin Holiday has been playing so much. And it has everything to do with the fact that him and Sabonis played together in Indiana. And it's not just that they were teammates. It's that Justin Holiday knows how to cut off of Sabonis. And not everyone has played with a big man like Sabonis. And if you haven't, then there's an issue, right? You're not doing what you should be doing to optimize him. And I think we're still seeing, um, you know, there were plays where I remember like Harrison Barnes and and one other player cutting at the same time and going right into the same space. There's just this flow that you have to learn when it comes to playing with a big man. And it's, it's also, Brennan, why, uh, why uh, Trey Lyles has fit in so quickly because I, I I fully missed this. I had forgotten that he had played with uh, with Nikola Jokic, yeah. and so 
you're seeing how players who have played with a big man like uh, what we're seeing from Sabonis, which is like a center of the universe big. That's what I like to call them. They're a guy that it doesn't matter where you put them. Everyone is moving off of them. And uh, I think if you have players that have played with him before or played with players like him, it kind of it makes a transition easier. Eventually, you know, you don't need to worry about that. But when you don't have practice time, and you're late in the season, and we're talking about the Kings have had like three practices, I think, since the uh, the trade itself. And it's just really hard to instill all of these concepts on the fly during a season. And so I get why Alvin Gentry would give uh, a longer leash to, to Justin Holiday, and why he would try a guy like Trey Lyles. Again, I think it's two very specific, it's one reason. It's because they know what they're doing and other guys don't. So I think that's one thing, but you got to get through that. You got to get past it. And um, I think what's interesting is we're starting to see a lot more play sets, right, from from Alvin Gentry. It's almost like he, he like cracked open the playbook and we're seeing a bunch of things that we haven't seen before. And a lot of it is just because Sabonis is here and he changes everything. Yeah. And there was even a couple of the older ones where, like, Dante is in Buddy Heald's spot, which I think speaks to how they feel about his shooting, even though it maybe hadn't been going down at a great rate. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely aspects, especially when they try to post up Sabonis, where it looks like the other side of the floor, there's not much cutting going on, or like you said, two guys cutting at the same time, or maybe nobody moving is because you're thinking the guy next to you is, and you're you two in your Harrison head about Barnes. it. Harrison Barnes left the corner. And uh, right. Sabonis passed to the corner. Like, we had some turnovers specifically because guys were cutting at the wrong time or they're just – the chemistry isn't there yet. Yeah. And, you know, that'll come over the offseason. I think it is going to be interesting, like, if they do end up making a coaching change, that that's a whole nother adjustment on top of it. Um, but more – also very important in no matter if there is that change, making progress and getting used to where your spots are, where – uh, your teammate spots are when it comes to the guys that are still going to be here around next year that's kind of your core which fox domas it you would think that dante is par- partially um, included in that likely and i thought it was interesting did you catch that like dante said a couple times yesterday he was also talking about the off season and, and building with this group which i thought was kind of interesting since technically he's yeah i think he believes he's going to be here yeah i mean he's a restricted free agent um and and I, I don't think that there's – we haven't started to look at dollar figures. I have heard, you know, that, again, he he had turned down, a, I think it was a three- to four-year deal around 8 or $9 million a year from the Bucks. Um, so, so I know that, you know, they're kind of around that range. But at the same time, uh, DiVincenzo's ankle injury, some of the things that have happened to him is, have kind of – like it's hurt his value for sure. And so, you know, what he would get last year at this time versus what he would get at this year versus uh, this coming summer might be two totally different things. But I also know there are a lot of teams in the league that have mid-level exceptions that start roughly around like nine, nine and a half million dollars a year, but they're more like a four year, like 42, 44. So it's possible he does get into that range and I, I still think at that price, the Kings match. If we start getting up and someone goes wild and gives Dante DiVincenzo like Bogdan Bogdanovich money, like a four-year 72, then the Kings are, are going to think twice and actually three times. And Was that intentional? Oh, 
the bo- the bogey in Dante. Yeah, well, no, I, no, but I mean, you know, that's what the number. That's the number that I think you would fear. Right. So no, it wasn't intentional because yep. you know they were actually traded for each other once it fell through. That was funny. That was a funny moment from. It, from it was. I think that Dante's situation is like interesting to me with when it comes to and at some point I'd like to hear where he's at with all this but you know first year he doesn't get all too much opportunity when he's in Milwaukee and then second year he's dealing with the bubble which is just a really weird situation for any player and then after his second season he going into year three is when he was traded to Sacramento and then not traded to Sacramento which I would imagine has you questioning how does this team really feel about me uh that being milwaukee for dante himself and you know it is a business yeah so um that's what i'd be interesting to hear kind of where dante's at with that but then even going into uh that year three where last season for him he's played all 66 game 66 games that he played he started every single one of them for the eventual championship winning team there mm-hmm. and I just think that, you know, there was still people talking about bogey throughout the year and then to still go back to that team that is was clearly interested in you before that, you know, very bluntly. And, you know, how often is there a scenario where it's like, could it be any more clear that this team values you when you're coming from a situation where. I could see how you were probably questioning that when he's the one getting thrown around in trade scenarios for that team. And I I would think that, you know, he's got the biggest payday of his life to this point coming up this next season. And I kind of wondered, will some of the erratic play calm down when he's made um, that contract? No, that's a good point that once you do get that contract, I mean, some players, you know, like, We've seen it in the past. Some players get the big money and then they stop working hard and stop or stop being effective. Um, I think other guys, you know, like they want more. Like DiVincenzo is very motivated. Like like I said, he's very intense. And Alvin Gentry uh, jokingly said, yeah, we really like Dante DiVincenzo. We literally traded for him twice. Um, that's what he said in post game. that, you know, just to show you how much the Kings do value DiVincenzo. And, like, I, I don't think that there's – there's probably like a 90-something percent chance that he's back with the Kings next season. I think something dramatically would have to happen. And if you get him calmed down and he starts hitting, you know, 38 39% from three, and he's averaging, you know, six threes a game, he's your starting shooting guard. And I'm okay with him being your starting shooting guard and then coming off a bench off the bench with a guy like Terrence Davis, who, uh, just so people know, Terrence Davis was out on the court actually like shooting and dunking with a splint on I don't think he will play again this season at all um, but he is already progressing and, and trying to stay in shape and, and getting there uh, just to close the book on DiVincenzo a little bit um, what would what would you like feel comfortable what is the dollar amount that you would go you know what this is as high as I'm going to go or or I wouldn't go this you know I wouldn't go above this number or um, I, this is where I would be comfortable yeah, if I have to go like my walk away, so absolute ceiling, you know, like if I'm signing it, I'm still probably a little iffy about it. Maybe 14. Gets a lot. Like to me, I think I think we talked about this the other day. Like Josh Hart is a guy that makes sense to me. 
Josh Hart's about twelve million a year. Um, so I, I think that that sort of range makes sense, and I do think that there's a solid chance for him to be the starting two guard on this team. Um, you know, if he, if he is able to hit shots at a good rate and continue to progress, he's still 25 years old mm-hmm. that, and, and, you know, still coming back from this ankle thing, like I said, just as he was getting a rhythm, despite, I think some people questioning what his future would be in Milwaukee. Once he finally establishes himself, once you break your way into the rotation, that's when you can try to start do a little bit more and expand your game. And he just didn't get that opportunity. It got cut short. So potentially there's even more for Dante. Um, I would say my walk away number would be like 14, 15. 14, okay. That, see, that's a, that's interesting. That's, I'm not going that high. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't like him. Like, I, like what I'm comfortable is, you know, 440, 444. I think at, a, at the most, maybe 448. So, like 12 million a year. I don't think I would go above that. But then again, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why he hasn't been starting as well. I think the Kings have been trying to restrict his value slightly, um, but which scares me. No, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, to me, that's just it's short-sighted business. It it and and you just traded away the two guys that didn't want to be here that were yep. hurting your culture. Why risk? And Dante comes in, and I guess everybody says this, but Dante backs it up with his play on the floor that he wants to change the culture. He wants his energy to be um, infectious and contagious, and you see that. Um, So, like, why would you risk you just got rid of the guys that are harming your culture possibly making another guy question how much he wants to be here? Like, that's where I was, like, really 11 minutes in – I think that was the Denver game. Yeah, I, it, I think some of these some of these things that happen, they're like, it's there's a specific reason why it happens. Either it's a bad matchup. I, I don't think there was any intent to play him 11 minutes in a game. Um, I, I just don't think there was. Like, I, you didn't come into the game thinking, oh, we're only going to play him. I think it's just the way that you know things kind of spun out of control. Yeah. And even in that game, wasn't it like uh, Davion went down for a little segment of the game? Um, and so it kind of threw the rotations off. I think someone may have made a mistake with rotations and stuff like that. I mean, these things happen. Um, as long as it wasn't like it happens every game. Right. And I think yeah. that was like, you know, I, I wrote that article for, for you at the Kingspeed, and it was like as long as this is the outlier, completely understandable yeah. and, and forgivable. Um, and so far it clearly looks like it does. You know, well, it was 11 minutes that night. I want to say 17 the night after, and then he plays 34 last game. And and then his home team, his previous team is coming into Golden One Center. So I'm curious to see how that goes as a guy that sometimes we're like he's doing a little bit too much. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to see how that goes. <laughs> we're gonna have to see how that goes. Uh, it's intriguing. And um, outside of that, the the Kings versus Bulls that was a really good game. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a fun game. The crowd was spectacular. Um, Sean, what was the number? Sean is still in the room. Fifteen thousand eight hundred. Yeah, yeah. So it was a big crowd. There was actually the upper deck was actually had fans in it. There wasn't like they didn't pan to a section and there was like four people with their feet up, like like almost like lounging like they're at the beach because the entire section is open. Um, so we didn't see any of that. I thought it was an engaged crowd. I thought the game was fun. It was back and forth. 
Kings blew a big 20-point lead, but let's be honest, Chicago's a really good team. They've got incredible scores all over the place. Uh, you know, we saw you know a big man battle. I thought that was spectacular. We saw Harrison Barnes like disappear, but at the same time, play spectacular defense for segments, um, trying to shut down Demar Derozan, which is nearly impossible. You know, again, like Zach Levine got hot for a few minutes. I just thought overall, like the Kings brought energy. It was a good defensive battle for segments of the game, and they keep building 20-point leads, and that tells me that they're good enough to build a 20-point lead, which is a positive. Now, the fact that they can't hold on to a 20-point lead is a negative, but it's progress. still, they, they are going out there, and there are nights where you're like, huh, this actually looks like pretty good. Yeah, and I think that um, you know maybe it's holding on to or starting with low bars and expectations should be higher, but like you did blow that lead against Chicago. I think at halftime we were all like, okay, let's see how this third quarter is going to go. And that's been a case with Kings teams and earlier this year and even previous seasons of they have a reputation for blowing leads. And once it starts, you can just feel like the whole, everybody on Sacramento is just accepting that this is happening. Here we and go there was again. a minute of that, of like maybe end of third, beginning of fourth, where I was like, man, people, uh, body language isn't, it's not angry, but it's just so disappointed. Like, here we go again. Um, and Domas was out there. This was the first time I'd seen him doing this on the floor, like kind of yelling at some of his teammates and, you know, in, in a productive way, like right after um, dapping him up high fives, like just let's get engaged here. And and when he got asked about it post game, it was just, you know, staying more disciplined, taking less, um, yeah, less risks and things like that. And it was good to see them. Chicago cut the lead just like we all expected them to mm-hmm. and still Sacramento was able to pull through in a way like bounced back from what seemed like they had given up for a second to be honest yeah um the I remember there was a moment where Tristan Thompson Tristan Thompson was really impactful <laughs> uh, like strangely impactful I mean he had two huge blocks and then on top of that he was fighting with Sabonis in the post like crazy there was a point where uh, Sabonis was working so hard to keep Tristan Thompson off the glass, and two of his teammates just watched the ball bounce like twice, and then Tristan Thompson fought through the uh, Sabonis eventually, and Sabonis got called for a foul. And he, I, I think it was Harkless and Davion was Davion, one of them. I, there I we think. go. And he literally like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Like I, I was sitting here blocking out and you've got to go get the ball. I'm doing everything I can to clear out. And Sabonis didn't have a double-double, which he's had a double-double in almost every game he's played in Sacramento. Um, but, I think he had he finished with seven rebounds. But every single one of the starters had at least six. Oh, that's good. Like, it, it seemed like it was kind of that play was representative of it, of I'm going to make sure that their big doesn't get it, but come in and secure it, the Even other guys I, on his team. I watched uh, Harrison Barnes fly in for a couple of rebounds. I was like, hey, look at that. Fox ended with six, like what you said. Trey Lyles, man, Trey Lyles, uh, he he was not given scoring opportunities, but he had four offensive rebounds in the first half. He he manufactured his own points. We just talked to Trey Lyles at uh, at practice, and he talked about that too. Like, look, I I know who I am as a player now, and I know what I have to do as a player in order to to get my buckets, to get my points, and to be. He's like, I can't just be 
a one-trick pony where I'm shooting the three ball the whole time. I've got to do more, and that means crashing the glass. That means going in and mixing it up and getting some putbacks. I thought he was really effective, and I don't think the Kings ran a single play for him or got him a single wide-open look the entire game. When he did, he when he has gotten looks, he's been really good, uh, but – not starter good. Yeah, when you're looking, he was honestly like, look, uh, Fox, Sabonis, and Barnes are three really good scorers. That's not who I need to be for this team. I need to be a rebounder. I need to hit my my floor spacing shots. But overall, I I have to understand that that's you know something that's going to happen. I'm not going to get these opportunities. Yeah, um, I, I think that he's played well. I certainly feel like I, I would not mind picking up his option at all. What is it, 2.6 million team option and have him as uh, eighth, ninth guy on this team? Like, I'm totally good with that. I think asking him to be a starter is a little bit too much. Um, And you you agree with me there, right? Yeah, Yeah. no, I I mean, that's a position that I think everyone looks at and go, okay, look, either you go get a stretch four that is like a shot blocking, big time stretch four. Sean is leaving us. See you, Sean. Bye-bye. Uh, he's not sorry. <laughs> uh, either you go get a stretch four and you have a man that position, or you get a really good three and you slide Harrison Barnes over to the four. And, again, I think Harrison Barnes as a uh, as a four next to Sabonis it makes me a lot more confident than Harrison Barnes as a four next to Rashawn Holmes. And it's not a bash on Holmes. It's because Sabonis does those little things like box out everybody so a guy like Harrison Barnes can go get the rebound. And, you know, if you have a guy who's already averaging 12 rebounds a game in your starting lineup, which is, you know, basically four rebounds a game more than what Rashawn Holmes typically brings. He's And Sabonis almost up to 13 rebounds a game going into last night. Um, but if you have that type of big, then you can have a non- like specific rebounding power forward, a guy who's not a great rebounder, but also not a horrible rebounder, a six rebound a game guy, and next to Sabonis should be a seven, seven and a half rebound a game guy at the four. And so I think there is some some looks there where you can change things. I just don't think if you come back next season and your power forwards are Trey Lyles and Chemezi Metu, it kind of feels like if you come into next season and Dante DiVincenzo has not established himself as a starting two guard, but you've got Dante and you've got Justin and you've got, uh, you know, Terrence Davis, again, I, I don't think that that position is settled. And that's not how this team should walk into next. They need to have more established starter level players. So again, I, I'm kind of not on board with Trey Lyles and Shemezi Metu being brought back unless it's with the understanding you're not going to play very much. One of them is not going to play very much because you need to have someone else who's better who's playing those positions. Right. And, yeah, I think having a better guy gives you more opportunity to kind of win games when you're having a quieter Harrison Barnes game like we saw in Chicago. He had six points. This is the ninth game all season that he's had single digits in points, and it's the only game that they've won. Um Typically, I mean, as the third guy, or even if you want to say the number two for times earlier this year, then you just can't have nights where he disappears. And this doesn't happen all that often. It's maybe like one every 10 games. Yeah. Um, and then also on the other end, you have one every 10 where he puts you puts 25 up for you. Yeah. So I, I think that you're allowed to have, or you can 
get away with that level of variance from Harrison Barnes when you add another player who is going you know what you're getting on a nightly basis like you're not getting the 31 points between Davion and Dante that you got last night every single night Um, but you all of a sudden have guys that on certain nights they can do that Um, so I think that if you get somebody that can do it more consistently though that you can live with the Harrison moments same with you're not relying on Dante and Davion, but if they do have one of those nights, it's just an extra. Like, yeah. kind of coming back to the, if you get a third option and everybody just has a, one less level down of responsibility, yeah. then I think the roster starts to make sense. And, like, I see some depth, but I, that scares me. I've said that a couple times these last couple seasons, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, every time you think they have depth, the depth doesn't end up panning out the way you thought it would. Uh, the Kings do have depth at the center position. They still have five guys, which is... Uh, that's squirrely. That's crazy. Um, not that we're seeing most of those guys. Uh, big shout out to the Sabonises uh, who had their first child on Saturday. That is why DeMontis missed Saturday's game against. Uh, oh, who did they play on Saturday? Denver. No, Denver. He was um, unavailable. Utah. Oh, it was Utah in yeah. Utah? Yeah, he got he got the suspension. The one game suspension. That's why he missed the Denver, Denver game. Yes. Yeah. So so Utah, uh, and you know, first of all, there there's something to that that I'll, I'll point out. Um, there was a tweet that went out from Gary Gerald that said that Demontis bonus, uh, Demontis Sabonis's wife had had a baby and announced the baby, uh, and then we get to Saturday, and he was listed out for personal reasons. So it's very clear what happened, but um, you go back and Gary Gerald deleted the tweet, and that's because for some reason, like I, I assume the Kings called and said, "Hey, you know, that's you're putting out someone's personal business um, without approval," and that's this isn't a knock on Gary Gerald at all. He's one of my favorite people ever, um, but it, it was so when we got to post game on Monday night. I actually started post game, and I I asked him if he wanted to say something about Saturday, and I, you know I got some people on Twitter. Oh, we already knew that. We already knew that. And it's like, okay, look, when someone has personal reasons and they ask, you know, clearly we even saw the tweet get pulled down from Gary Gerald. Like, I'm not gonna start reporting on something that I don't know anything about. I don't want to. I want to make sure there's nothing wrong. I want to make sure that we're not overstepping bounds. But when a player has a personal issue, I've always looked at it as like, look, you have a personal issue. And a lot of times in the past, what the Kings would do in those situations would they would pull you aside and say, okay, look, here's what the personal issue is kind of about but we're going to ask you not to report that, but we just want you to know that it is a real personal issue, and this is kind of why there's a personal issue. Um, but please don't report that. And someone would go, well, why won't you just report it because you have some news? And I was like, well, because it's someone's, it's literally someone's personal issue. And so, you know, we, you can you can go look at court records or whatever for some players and go, oh, that was a personal issue. That's one thing. But there are other times where, you know, we could get in a situation where, you know, the outcome isn't positive and we don't want to, like, overstep our bounds. And as long as I kind of have a feel for what's happening, I'm okay with the personal issue. That's okay with me. Now, we've had a few extra personal issues this year, which have been baffling. uh, But at the same time, I'm not going to dig in. 
you know, I'm not going to dig into Rashawn Holmes and say, look, man, I watched you warm up, and then five minutes later you're out for the game on personal issues, and then we see you at practice, and then the next night you're out for personal issues. There's something going on, and whether it's he's just not ready to play or he has some other personal issue like his mom has brought up on, on social media um, in the past, you know, I'm going to give some of these guys a little bit of a leash here to to have moments because they're human and they they have all kinds of issues. You know, you're asking someone to go live away from their family basically for six months of the year. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes they need to attend something. Sometimes it's just it's too hard. Something has gone wrong and they just need a day or two. And so I'm I'm just going to make sure people understand that was Sabonis a very specific issue. Like the the team could not confirm whether or not he had his wife had just given birth uh, on Saturday or on Friday night, um, and so when we asked him about that, and you got to see like literally the joy, yeah, that was spectacular. The joy of Sabonis, like it just he beamed. He was so excited. His first game, yeah, his first game um, back from from you know after missing. Um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. So does that all that make sense to you? Because like this is one of those moments where you're learning yeah. on the fly and like some, sometimes it's weird and you're like, okay, how should I handle this? Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Um, you know, it's easy to forget all the personal lives that these guys have and what they have going on behind the scenes and, uh, reasons that you may never hear about for somebody being in a slump or not being fully engaged. Um, for myself, it made it like kind of weird sometimes at the beginning of the year when, I like first really become aware of that of made me feel bad or like hesitant to criticize people for not being engaged because you never know. Um, And I think I'm somebody that keeps things to myself. So I tend to think that people probably have things going on, but aren't saying it. Um, But you know, that's kind of what we do, I guess, in in nice ways. Like I think reasonable, there's times that people deserve to be not locked in or anything like that. But I think interestingly with Sabonis, he's had such a complicated situation with the move and he's, you know, might not have a place here yet. He's just having, no, he's living in the Sawyer. Yeah. Just had a child and holiday is living in the Sawyer and he's playing how well, like this is probably me searching for ways to really find even more optimism than I already have. But it's like, Sabonis gets settled. Do we get an even better version? Like, <laughs> no. I mean, it's a good question. I, I think we will see a better version. We'll see a better version of him, especially if the Kings put better players around him. I mean, I think that that's very clear. You put better players around Sabonis. He, you put knockdown shooters. He's going to average eight assists a game. Like that's that's what you have to do. And if you even go back to his time in Indiana. Like, who did he have that's just a flat-out knockdown shooter? Justin Holiday. Yeah, Justin Holiday, <laughs> who averaged 10 points a game. No, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you had uh, – like, even when we talked about, like, the potential for Ben Simmons coming to Sacramento, I always said, like, the real intriguing thing is could you possibly get Ben Simmons without giving up Fox, without giving up Halliburton, but also without giving up Buddy? Because if you had an elite floor spacer with Ben Simmons – then it's like, oh, okay, now we're this gets interesting. Yeah. But the fact is, you're going to have to give up something to get yeah. someone like that, and and you needed to get a different buddy. You couldn't have kept the same buddy. 
No, no, you're right. What you need is a different version of Buddy Hield. I mean, this team, there's no question. They need a monster, monster three-point shooting yeah. guy. With the player archetype, which is what we've been saying a lot at the yes. end of this year. Yeah, totally, totally. So I I'm going to apologize. I don't know how the audio will work out with this. It should be fine, but we have a Coke machine that keeps turning on and Coca -Cola. off. Coca-Cola. Uh, no, it's actually Derek Williams. He's <laughs> sitting over there. Yes, I, I said that. The Coke machine, Derek Williams. He's Derek Williams is not here. I don't know where Derek Williams is playing at this point, but he's still only like 28 years old. Columbia, maybe? I, I don't know. Like, he kept playing. He did go play in Europe. Um, uh, if you don't know that reference, George Carl once said that uh, even a Coke machine could get more than one rebound in 32 minutes of action, which the only one who played 32 minutes that night and got one rebound was Derek Williams, who was six foot eight and could jump like over a Kia or maybe even like a BMW. I mean, the guy could literally fly um, and just didn't go rebound. Uh, so that's why we call like that's he was called the Coke machine. I did not know the story. Um, I oh, thought you didn't know the we Derek were, Williams story. Yeah. Did you catch me say Columbia? I was on a completely different page here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, Derek Williams, they called the Coke machine. Uh, no, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, we called, the, and the Sacramento Kings fans called him the Coke machine from then on. Um, I think we even referenced him as the Coke machine with George Carl, uh, which uh, George Carl would love that because, you know, he came up with it. Yeah, so it's good stuff. Um, okay, so we've had a couple of games here where the Kings have lost, where you're you're like, Man, they really shouldn't have lost. And, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm just going to ask, is this the best of all possible worlds? Like, I, I am a, a, a big Voltaire fan. So, I, I, like, so Voltaire wrote the book called Candide in the 1700s. Um, and it's, there's Dr. Pangloss who talks about the, uh, the best of all possible worlds. And like whatever whatever is happening is what should happen. I don't fully believe that, but in this situation, we're seeing a team play hard. We're seeing them build big leads. We're seeing a framework of a star duo. We're seeing a really nice third fourth option in Harrison Barnes. We're seeing players miss shots, which is causing you to lose games, causing you to lose momentum. But we're watching something grow while the team sits at now 25 wins and the sixth spot in the lottery. This team needs more. The easiest way to get more is either to draft a really, really high-level player in the top five or six of this year's draft or to trade that pick to go get a really high-level player. But the better, the more losses, the better at this point. And I, I know some fans will disagree with that, and I'm not a tank guy, but I'm not watching tank. I'm watching a team who's growing and learning and figuring things out and losing. Is that okay with you? It's okay, yeah. I mean, I think that I'm very optimistic with what we've been seeing. Um, I am, like, trying to catch myself because at the end of the day, this is a 25 win team and it hasn't been Sabonis the entire time but like if you want to say absolute best case scenario it's that holy crap both these guys are putting up 50 combined a night between De'Aaron and uh, Sabonis and all like oh my god I didn't know that Dante DiVincenzo had this in him like 
I guess I'm just trying to, I feel like I've been very optimistic and I think there's good reason to for everything that you just laid out. I just am trying to bring myself down a little bit because, yeah, they do have the asset to go make a substantial move this offseason. Um, but you still have to make that happen. We've seen them have substantial assets or things that we would give that label before and them still do nothing with it. Like you still have Rashawn Holmes sitting there kind of not really doing all too much. What if he's still on this team next year? Um, so I agree with you that it is optimistic and there's a lot of positive momentum with this team for, I think, very good reasons. You're getting up 20 against quality teams. You just beat the Chicago Bulls, who, again, are not quite the same team they were earlier in the year. They're just on a slower stretch of the season, but that's a quality team. You um, played well against Utah. Interesting. No no Lonzo Ball. No Lonzo Ball. Like, he he does duck fox. I'm not. I'm just joking. That's... That's a Greg uh, Wissinger yes, thing on Twitter yes. that Lonzo Ducks Fox. It's but, yeah, but it's yeah, proven. It, so so Utah. Yeah, they, they've played a lot of teams really well in that first half, and I am with you where it's like that is really encouraging. That's so much progress than anything we saw before. We would see one or two. We we would see moments here and there of them playing that level of basketball. Right now, we're seeing thirty minutes of it every night, but then we're seeing. Uh, 18 of what the heck was that so yes I'm really encouraged by that I think it's very refreshing because right before the trade deadline it was getting tough to watch this team but I guess it's um, just me trying to play the other side and feeling like I need to remind myself that there's still a lot has to go right for this team to make the substantial jump that they need to next season they have the tools to do it but it has to happen and you know I, I don't think that it's just a certainty. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think that there are tweaks. I don't. It can't even be tweaks. There has to be substantive, substantive changes this off season. Like we're talking, like one or two new starters. Like that's that's where we're at. I mean, this this team has to have like we're talking twenty to forty percent of your starting lineup has to be different. Um, and and uh, of, your, of your bench is probably two or three, maybe five. Like if you go deeper in the bench, um, you're right, a new coach. Um, and that's not to say anything negative about Alvin Gentry. I think he's like he's been someone who's tried to keep this thing on the rails all season long, and he's done a yeoman's job of doing that. You know, this has been very, very difficult. Like this has not been a normal season. We heard Alvin say uh, early in the year that – this is the worst game I've ever been a part of. And then we heard him say it again a couple games later, and there were just a couple more moments where I'm like, you know, this probably tops that, but if I were him, I wouldn't keep saying that either. So, um, Yeah, and, and like at, at this point, Alvin is doing what he can do. To, I mean, he, I think he understands. He understands what's happening. But at the same time, like some of the wrinkles he's putting in, Man, like all of a sudden, this team looks like there is no more just like flipping the ball around the perimeter. There's not. There's not like we're not watching this same, uh, the same offensive like, like again, it's what I saw from Iowa. I I was watching Keegan Murray, and I I watched the offense, and I'm like, oh man, this is that same thing that I watched the Kings do, where they just go around the perimeter again. And didn't you? uh, I was listening. 
you on a podcast you said against Utah there was a a play where they, they didn't get the <laughs> they, say this. the shot they get up has about two seconds left from Davion Mitchell that entire possession they didn't dribble inside the three point line what is this like and what is this <laughs> what I was like what am I watching I rewatch <laughs> like technically Harrison Barnes' foot goes inside the line but that's all we got here um, it was tough and. I think kind of a difference here is obviously De'Aaron having turned it on in the way that he has, but he's also, last night he played 42 minutes. Like, the six minutes that he wasn't out there was kind of that beginning of the fourth that looked gross. Yeah. Um, So I think part of it is that De'Aaron is playing really well, and he's playing a lot. He doesn't seem to have issue with it. He's playing incredible. He's averaging, what do we look, 29.5 points, um, almost seven assists a game. I, I, that's not since a trade. That's since he came back. Uh, Which right? he came back um, the, the first game without Tyrese. Yeah, first, first game, game without, without Tyrese, Tyrese, but Sabonis was not there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, during that stretch, uh, and he's average, He's had over 20 points in 16 straight games. He's had three straight over 30. Uh, he's had two 40-point games in the last—we're talking about the last 15 games. A good handful of— Maybe, what, two or three double-digit assist games? At least two. He's got four double-doubles. Oh, there you go. Four of what his do I know? five double-doubles on the season have come since uh, since he came back from injury. So the one game before Sabonis came onto the team. Um, like, look, he's playing like a superstar. He's not playing like a, a star level. I mean, he literally—and Alvin keeps saying this. Like, he's not playing—he's not one of the best guards in the league. He's one of the best players in the league right now. He's playing that well. Um, so we got to figure out if he can be that player next year. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of the – if people are like, well, De'Aaron just kind of turns it on at the beginning of the year. Like, do you feel like in previous seasons there's been segments of the year where De'Aaron really performs at a high level? Like, why is this different? Yeah, I mean, we can look last year. I mean, he had a stretch last year where he was incredible as well, and he did the same exact thing, and then he finished the season with COVID, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he missed the final 10 games of the season with COVID. Um, He didn't have to miss the final 10 games, but they, you know, there's a point where you shut it down um, because they weren't going to make the play in. Um, But when I look at him and I'm uh, like, the way he's playing right now, it's just stunning to watch because there was, uh, was it, Utah, maybe it was Denver. I was watching some clips of some of the it was Denver of some of the things he's done over the last week. The way that he changes uh like sp- he accelerates and de- uh, decelerates, the way he changes speed and direction is so incredibly crazy. And I've watched it. There was a play where he blew by somebody stepped to the outside, stepped to the inside, stepped back to the outside, went around that person and dipped back underneath them to the left. And it was just like, I, I don't even know how he did that. Yeah. Like it was like the, the path that you saw from him was so stunning and it was all in the flow, like just attack. Yeah. I feel like a lot of guys either are ones to slither around contact like Kyrie or either play through contact and like an Isaiah Thomas. And those are probably two extremes of that. Yeah. But De'Aaron does a really good job of mixing the two. 
Um, when yeah. he when he's going into a big, he plays really well through contact and finishes on the way down. Like last year, I remember being blown away constantly by some of the finishes that you were seeing from him. He's one of the best finishers in the league. And at the beginning of this year, you just didn't see it that much. Yeah. Um, and now he's gone back to really going through guys. Um, and, you know, he said earlier in the year, like, you can't just bump into, jump into seven footers 82 games a year. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's an aspect of it. Like, he looks fresh. He looks engaged. He's got, yeah, the, all these moves going on, and he's piecing everything together. Um, I, I do think he's turned it on at other portions for previous seasons, but this feels like easily the best De'Aaron Fox that I've ever seen. And 15 games is substantial. Um, mm-hmm. It needs to be more before I'm like, I am expecting it going into next game. I'm expecting it every single night, but give me the final 10 here also. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, the Kings do need to lose games. And I know, like, I I think you can still circle. They've got another game against the Pelicans. They've got a game against the Pacers. They've got two against the Rockets. And that's kind of it, right, Uh, of their last 12 that are, are even, like, really possible. Um. I mean, not possible. I mean, they can beat, like, what we saw with the Bulls. They can beat plenty of teams. Dante DiVincenzo, career high tomorrow. Yeah. I, yeah. His career high is only 25. What? I was surprised. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, but, like, we get to the end of the season, they play, like, the Clippers and the Suns in the final two games. Right. Um, they still have a game against, we talk about, like, the Bucks, the Celtics, Golden State. Um, they have someone else on this homestand that's – like, like the schedule is brutal. Like yeah. to get to get to the finish line. Miami. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they've got a bunch of big time, big time teams that are fighting for playoff positions. So, uh, like, getting wins here is not going to be super easy. But I, I still like the way they're playing. I still like the fact that they're in every game, that they're fighting, that they're showing me that they haven't just totally quit on Alvin Gentry. Uh, do they lose? Yeah. That. But at the same time, I think a lot of people should be fine with that. Uh, I think you walk out of Golden One Center right now. Everyone one has been entertained in almost every game, like for the last week. Like you walk away, you're like, "Hey, that was a fun game." They didn't win, but that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And so, um, yeah, I'm kind of I'm excited to see what happens here, and I'm excited to see what happens like in the summer. And this thing is gonna, I mean, it's gonna take off. Like the first couple of days coming out of. Um, coming out of the season is going to be wild. I think the DiVincenzo situation is going to be interesting. I think whether they can make changes, the the trade, I mean, the uh, the draft is going to be really interesting. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks and a couple of months coming up. Um, okay, so we've got to get to the business of basketball. What do we got? What do we got? Um, I, I think, you know what, here's what we're going to do um, for this week. Uh, you just had a draft uh, show with uh, Bryant West, right? Yes. And uh, I, I sat there and listened to the whole thing. I thought it was really intriguing. Um, but let's dig into the draft a little bit. Did you watch? You, you watched enough this weekend of like conference tournament stuff and all that. I did. Was yeah. there anything that stood out to you that, like, what do you take away from watching players? So it's one thing when you're studying the draft, because I've done this for a long time. I've done so many mock drafts. It's ridiculous. Um, when you're studying for the draft, sometimes we get in the habit of watching a bunch of cool mixtapes, right? 
or watching a bunch of clips from a player like uh, here here are all the pick and rolls here are all the three point shots and so you're watching these things play out um, was there anything this this weekend that when you watch a full game of somebody stood out more than than someone else i mean you kind of talked about it a little bit so i dove even more into keegan murray and it's not that i don't like him. I, I think that there is a starter in Keegan Murray, a starter that Sacramento needs. Um, I was a little unimpressed with him on the defensive end for as much hype or like if I'm watching these uh, scouting reports that people put together or articles, like if you watch the highlights of him, he looks phenomenal defensively. Yep. But more often than not, he's, he, he just isn't a huge impact on that end. I don't think he's, he's a negative just there. Yeah, and I think that <laughs> yeah, I think there's interesting things like the screens. I probably disagree with you a little bit because it seemed like to me that he was just not asked to do that. Like it seemed like the five was his brother when he was out there, um, or the other big that they had out there. And like I wonder if he was asked to do it a little more. That maybe that could be fine. Like I wasn't all too concerned with this physicality, but like elite elite shooter like I think that that even somehow felt understated even though that people were saying that like he bottom of the net high release very very often didn't need a lot of space no couldn't create his he he doesn't have a very quick release necessarily but yeah yeah, he can hit it contested for sure Um, but if they opponents close out on him hard putting the ball on the floor was not very encouraging um but again if you're talking about a say Mo Harkless might be kind to him defensively but that player archetype with I think Mo's a better defender but go ahead but Keegan's a lot better three-point shooter oh no like so you're kind of going like offensively he's he's a much better player than yeah probably not a great comp but yeah I mean I think that he still is a player that if you're sitting there at six five six seven where i'm thinking about it and it's probably more like six seven eight um and no matter what if they're in that spot like this draft i think even if i was sitting at three i would strongly consider trading the pick like favor um favoring doing that so with chet and um jabari smith being the clear one two if those guys are available i'm taking them and not thinking twice about it um so yeah i think that like keegan's in a spot where if you're the bare minimum that I would be okay with is them making a pick at five to nine that they really believe in that is going to be starting on this team at some point in the near future, and then also going out and trading Rashawn Holmes and getting another guy that fits your rotation better. And all of a sudden, like maybe you do have two fringe starters. Like if you add a uh, Keegan Murray and like Luke Kennard, for example, like I don't love that. But it's like the bare minimum where I'm okay with going into next year. Okay. And that's kind of where I'm at with Keegan. Like, I'm fine. I think he's a good fit on the team. He's just not substantial enough for how big of a change the team needs to make. I think that's a very good distinction. So, like, when I watched him, I, I thought, number one, he doesn't have screens at all. He slips every screen. And he doesn't even slip them like he's going somewhere. He just doesn't set them. He doesn't get in the way. He doesn't like actually, no one feels him. So I thought physicality-wise, I didn't like his physicality. I thought he one game he put up uh, nine rebounds, one game he put up 11. I should also preface this with 
They, I think they played four days in a row. Think so. Yeah. So Big Ten it, tournament. It is possible that he was a little worn out. I mean, it's it's a crazy week. I thought the scoring was like okay. Everyone kept talking about how he's the most creative, like one of the best scorers in the country. That he might be the best scorer coming into the draft. I'm like, okay, he, he handles the ball like Rudy Gay, young Rudy Gay. He doesn't have a Rudy Gay's athleticism, uh, not even remotely close. He's not the finisher that Rudy Gay is. Um, he's a better perimeter shooter than Rudy Gay was as a young player for sure. But like if like I, so I'm taking that comp off the off the table. I don't think he's as fluid as an athlete. I don't even think he can get to the rim like Rudy Gay could. I mean, he certainly can't finish like Rudy Gay. I thought rebounding wise, he almost stumbled into close to double doubles. And that was like a lot of missed shots. Uh, there wasn't, there was like two or three rebounds where I thought, oh, that was a good rebound. It's because Caleb Swanigan was swallowing them up. Yeah, what's I don't we don't <laughs> even know that guy's name. Um, no, Purdue is big man. Yeah, Purdue's big man looks. I mean, literally just put up Caleb Swanigan numbers and yeah. like passing. He was, he was a like, beast. Yeah, yeah passing. <laughs> like hold on. Here. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, know he was interesting. How many second rounders do the Kings yeah, have? Yeah, he, he's a senior. <laughs> I don't know if he'll get drafted, but like talk about a, a veteran, veteran college player. Also say that Keegan is an old sophomore. Um, he's twenty two. He's twenty. I think he's already twenty one. Okay. Um, and like, look, if he were a, a guy that the Kings selected, I wouldn't hate it, but I think his ceiling, ceiling, would be Harrison Barnes. But I don't know that he can get to Harrison Barnes status and and I also like I said it before like he reminds me of Marvin Williams and as I watched him I just kept seeing Marvin Williams like they're sort of blocky through the hips like I did not see the shot blocking that people talked about um he blocked like the seven foot four guy on one shot where like the dude had no idea he was right next to him and he just swatted him from behind and that guy's huge, um, I like seven four two ninety five. Yeah. We don't need the name. If you saw, you would know that's what a guy giant, we're talking about. <laughs> that's a giant kid. Yeah, um, I, I think he has a lot of tools defensively. Like his length really pops off the screen. I yeah. think that he tries to use that length um, a lot, understandably so, but kind of leaves him in maybe a situation where he took a risk and probably shouldn't have. Like. You know, I, I see the tools with him defensively and think there's an aspect of him being raw there. And that's where I see the potential for an upside with him. Because I don't know, like, if he puts the ball on the deck a little bit better, like, I don't know that that does all that much for me with there's yeah. no, like, finishing or his pull-up game wasn't um, amazing to me or anything like that. Like, that's where I see the potential guy. growth. Yeah, but you're not doing – yeah, no. like – On occasion yeah. I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. That, that looked nice. Like, yeah. even if he didn't hit the shot, I'm like, okay, I get that. You can get him down low. But, again, I thought he didn't have physicality. I thought that there were plenty of times where he was slightly lost on the defensive end, um, just kind of going through the motions a little bit. So, I, I don't know. I walked away. And then um, I guess we'll talk about, you know, we've, we'll kill a couple of minutes here uh, on this. Um, he also played against um, Jaden Ivey, right? Mm-hmm. In the Big Ten Championship. Okay, so, like, when you do player comps, like, <laughs> I, I try to watch players 
And like normally I instantly see some other player. And sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does. Uh, but his, his barber had a player comp in mind. Whoever is <laughs> the stylist for Jaden Ivey is like, like sign him up. Like that should be he, he, like spectacular because they made him look exactly like John Morant. And it's not looks, a common haircut. He looks exactly like John Morant on the court. And then all of a sudden he flies in and does something wild and crazy. And you're like, holy cow. He looks just like Jaw. I'm all in. Like, y- you can give me that guy all day long. And it's not because I think he's Jaw, because he's actually like the shooting guard version of. He's, yeah, you know, he's nowhere near the same passer. No, he's not the creator for other people. He does make some nice passes and yeah. he does have some flash to his game. But his ability to attack and to accelerate through is just absolutely. And he's reckless abandon, like Jaw. Like, he, he doesn't mind trying to hammer a ball on on a big guy all the time. And yeah. he also does some crazy things. He, he can score with either hand at the rim. Uh, he's not a great shooter. He needs to develop as a shooter. He needs to develop as a as a defender. You know who else he sounds like? Who? De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I thought, like, my comparison while I was watching him, it might not have been Jaw as much as it was DeJounte Murray. I was like, oh, okay. Like, young DeJounte made a bunch hmm. of mistakes. I remember that guy had, like, he had nine turnovers in a game, seven turnovers in a game. Like, Popovich is just like, oh! Uh, but that's what he reminds me of, like, a mistake-prone guy, but his athleticism and his skill set is so off the charts that you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not passing. If I'm sitting at number three, I have to really consider Ben Caro, even though I'm not convinced that he's the guy. But I have to look at Ivy and just like, oh, could he? Is there a way? Like, could you have two De'Aaron Foxes where, again, they're just flying off of all of these back cuts and and motion and Sabonis like setting picks and like having guys move all over the place? He's he probably won't fit and wouldn't fit, and you're gonna have to have a top four pick to get him at a minimum because I think he's actually a guy who will probably move up. Um, I don't think he'll pass either the the top guys, but I, I still like like Jaw who moved up. Like I, I mean, there's been some guys like that. Even I think Derrick Rose moved up a little bit in the draft. Um, you know, so so anyway, I, I liked him. Yeah, I, I certainly can make the pitch or or make the argument for his fit, um, and it's just being a Portland type team when it not exact play style, but it's. You have two offensive-oriented guards yep. that are not doing much for you defensively. Actually, they are doing a lot for the other team uh, when they're playing defense. Um, pretty poor defenders. And I don't think Ivy's horrible or anything, but I, I do think he's a negative defender in the same way that, like, that's probably where I'm at with De'Aaron. Um, and then Nurkic is the Sabonis, where you have a big passing, a passing big that you're kind of playing off of. And... What you're banking on at that point is you need to be a top five offense and just be not worse than like 20th, 22nd on defense. I don't know that I'd love to watch that, but like if if Monty were to make that pick, uh, Monty, Wes Wilcox, and the rest of the front office were to make that pick and then come out and preach to us that this guy was 
we couldn't not pick this guy. He was best player available. I would understand, depending on where it's at. But, like, I understand if somebody were to view him as you just can't not take that talent. Um, I don't know that I'm I there. I, I, like, that's where I am. I'm like, oh. I think what I would do first, so if the league values him in the way that it, the media kind of seems to be talking about him, then I would be really, really making sure that there's not a crazy package that you can get if you're sitting there at three or four to go and trade that pick. Because, yeah, if he has that sort of league-wide evaluation and it's a team that needs that type of player, that player archetype, like maybe you're getting something that is really intriguing back for him. Like I kind of view both Paulo and Jaden Ivey as if they are really valuable also as trade assets and you're sitting there at 3-4, that's probably where I lean. And obviously it's hard. You don't know what sort of deals we'd be talking about. But those two guys worry me a little bit. I talk myself into it. If you just think they're supremely talented and got to go that direction because there's no decent trade offers on the table, sure. Um, But I would be really calling, trying to figure out does the rest of the league love these guys too and what can we get? Yeah, can you get John Collins for the the fourth pick in the draft? Right. Or the third pick in the draft without giving up Harrison Barnes, without, with giving up other players and not Harrison Barnes. Um, I, I think that's where I would go. Like, I, because uh, that's, you know, if you're going to try to be good relatively soon, Kings just can't be bad forever. I mean, they can't be bad forever, but you need to actually establish something. Next Define season. forever. So, so, <laughs> well, 16 years is forever, so... We've already lasted forever. Now, I, what I don't want to see is 17, 18, 19, 20. That would be tough, especially as someone who's covered this team for 12 already and 12 losing seasons is bad. And it's actually got to turn around pretty quick next year. I think this is where I'm, you know, as I try to remind myself and, and bring myself down from optimism that probably has a lot to do with, again, like it was a really tough watch before the deadline. Yeah. Um, and it's relieving now that like I like you said, all, when people are leaving Golden One Center recently, I think there's a good feeling they just enjoyed watching this basketball team. Yeah, they try hard. Yeah, and that yeah. just wasn't the case before. Um, but there's going to be a lot of changes next year where all the different things that we've laid out in this episode, like you don't have that much time to allow those to mesh. If you take 20 games and you've won six of them, like, but, oh, we can see it. Like, you can't have that in as long going into next season. You know, it's just very quick. I think that this whole, yeah, it's looking good, but they're not coming away with wins, like, oh, instantly no, unacceptable next year. No, no, that can't, can't keep happening. Um, all right, do you have any final thoughts? I don't. No final James, thoughts? James runs this place. You can get in here whenever, man. I can't get in here on game days sometimes. So yeah, like, I'm are the, you sure you're media? I'm the mayor of Golden One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, you know what though? Like, I, I do I'm, we actually? I got one for you. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Chemezi? No. I okay. Mean, we're deep in hour and twenty-two. Yeah. In. Maybe we'll talk about Metu later in the week. Um, like the Metu situation because I think we talked about it a little bit. I don't think you could have Metu and Lyle on the, on the same team. Yeah. Next yeah. year because I think you have to have someone else there at that position. Um, all right. So let's see. What do we have? Uh, we already talked about uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up. Uh, subscribe down below if you're watching on YouTube. 
Uh, if you're listening on any one of like the bajillion different audio platforms, uh, give us a rating and a review. That always helps us. Uh, we've got the Off the Record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 4 Infectious Disease Control coming up next Thursday. Not this Thursday, but next Thursday. So make sure that you're around for that. Uh, in order to get an invite, you have to be a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. Uh, if you're interested in the merch, which is awesome, uh, it's down below. Uh, there's a, a promo code that ends uh, at the end of the month for 15% off any merch purchase. Um, outside of that, we'll be back on Thursday. It should be an entertaining week of basketball. We're going to be here at the arena a lot. Uh, Saturday uh, is the farewell to Arco Arena. I think it's you can still get tickets on Kings.com, I think, and it's it's free, but you have to actually get tickets if you want to be there. Um, are you going to go? I've never been to Arco, but it might be a first. Will you be there? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I, I love Arco Arena. I grew up going to games at Arco Arena. I've been there a million times. I saw U2 there. Um, I think no <laughs> that, doubt that's the highlight for U2. Uh, I saw playoff games there. I saw Bush and the Goo Goo Dolls there. I've seen plenty of concerts there. Um, yeah, I have seen way too many, and they're just all the concerts are flooding in my head that I've saw uh, that I've seen there. Um, but I've also been to hundreds and hundreds of games there. Um, anyway, I, so that's really cool. Um, I don't know like what's going on there. You need to go to kings.com if you have any interest in that. Uh, but it should be a cool event. They're not blowing up the arena for like another <sighs> six months. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. And outside of that, uh, you know, thanks for tuning in to the Kingspeed podcast. So uh, for Brendan Nunes, I'm James Hamm. Uh, we'll see you on, on Thursday. Dante DiVincenzo, career high incoming. <laughs>